0: year you are the faithful that are ready to ring in the new year in the presence of your heavenly father surrounded by your church family isn't it good to be here this morning would you stand and worship with us today father we thank you for this morning for this time to come together to kick off a brand new season father thank you for this year that your hand is upon us and everything that we do prospers because we are your kids hallelujah This is the day that you have made Whatever comes, I won't complain For all my hope is in your name And now your joy awaits my praise I give thanks for all you have done And I will sing of your mercy and your love. Your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. When I was down, you brought me out. Set my feet on higher ground so here i stand you are my god your faithfulness my solid rock i give thanks for all you have done and i will sing of your mercy and your love your love is unfailing lord i am grateful i give thanks for all you have done i won't forget all the battles you have won your love is unfailing lord i am grateful and as we lift our hands the heavens open heavens open so let our lives declare the love our god has spoken over us and as we lift our hands the heavens open heavens So let our lives declare the love our God has spoken over us. Aren't you grateful this morning? Would you sing this out? I give thanks for all you have done and i will sing of your mercy and your love your love is unfailing lord i am grateful i give thanks for all you have done i won't forget all the battles you have won your love is unfailing lord i am grateful I am grateful. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Would you lift your hands and just thank Him this morning for the year that was, how we brought you through it, for the year to come, that He will never let you down, that He always walks by your side. Lord, we are so grateful for who you are. The things that you've done in our lives, God, let us never forget. And as we press forward, we have those as a foundation and as a memory that you were always with us, that you always pulled us through, God. Hallelujah. Walking around these walls I thought by now they'd fall But you have never fail me, yet? Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won, for you have never failed me, yeah. Sing your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. Still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet. And I know the night won't last, cause your word will come to pass, and my heart will sing your praise again. Jesus, you're still enough. Keep me within your love. My heart will sing your praise again. Sing your promise. Your promise still stands Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands, cause this is my confidence. You never failed me. Your promise still stands. Great is faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. Cause this is my confidence. you never failed me yet. You never have i see you do it again you made a way where there was no way and i believe i see you do it again Your promise. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. Still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never fail me promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness, your faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my comfort Never fail me, Lord. Mm. Never fail. Your mercy never fails me in all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God would you sing this out this morning all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good with every breath that i am able i will sing of the goodness of god I love your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived In the goodness of God. Sing all my life. All my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able oh, I will sing of the goodness of god because your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running out, it's running after me with my life laid down i'm surrendered now i give you Is running out, it's running after to me. Your goodness is running out, it's running out to me. Your goodness is running out, it's running after to me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now, and I give you. Enough to me. All my life, You have been faithful. And all my life, You have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able. I will sing of the goodness of God sing all my life cause all my life you have been faithful and all my life you have been so so good yeah with every breath that I am the goodness of god cause your goodness is running after it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me with my life laid down i'm surrendered now i give you All my life, cuz all my life you have been faithful In all my life you have been so so good With every breath that I can make I will sing of the goodness God I will sing of the goodness
1: of God Hallelujah Lord we thank you for your faithfulness to us we worship you we bless the wonderful name of Jesus the name that has raised us the name that has saved us it is in his name that we hope it is in his name that we trust it is in his name that we rest it is in his name that we are blessed jesus you are our friend our savior our counselor we worship you we magnify your name hallelujah no, the Bible says, David said, when he was an older man, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. And I can tell you, you know, I've been in ministry now 45 or so years. Been born again for, I guess I have to do the math here, 50, I don't remember my age, so... <laughs> But that's on purpose, you know. Once you get to a certain age, you don't want to remember. You just want to have to do the math. So it's around 55 or 56 or 57 years. (laughs) But anyway, you know, when you're young, you can talk about faith and you trust in His Word. But the Bible talks about adding to your faith experience. And so I can say that through experience of walking with the Lord for many, many decades. We experience, we get to experience his faithfulness. We get to experience his goodness. Hallelujah. And so we can look back with your experiences of God's faithfulness. and, And this time of year is such a good time of year to just take time to pause and to look back and to reflect on God's faithfulness to you. And remember his faithfulness in times past and how he saw you through and apply it to today. Hallelujah. You know, a lot of people are like, well, you know, everybody's talking about 2022. And somehow they think that by magically turning the calendar, suddenly you turn that calendar from 21 to 2022 and everything's just going to be somehow wonderfully different. I have no faith in the turning of the calendar but do you know what i do have hope in and what i do have faith in i have hope and i have faith in him so whatever the calendar says be it 2020 2021 2022 i'm unmoved and my heart is set and fixed on the promises of god and what he said that he will do for us And in that, we can be confident, not in the turning the page of a calendar. Oh, well, 2022 is going to be so much better. I don't know what 2022 holds, but I know this. I know who holds 2022. Hallelujah. And he's holding 22 and he's holding us. And so we can be at peace. We can be at rest. We can rejoice. Hallelujah. Because his promises are yes and amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah our hope is in him. Amen. Well, before you're seated, why don't you turn and greet several people if you don't know them? Don't you appreciate our worship team this morning? <laughs> Amen. Uh, greet several people, find out their name. After you've done that, you may be seated. We're going to dismiss to Kids to Kids Church at this time. And we are so glad for those of you who are worshiping with us online. Praise the Lord. We are glad that you're here, and we know you're going to be ministered to. Hallelujah. Kids had a great time this last week. Uh, They had a um, uh, sleepover at the church, and all the workers looked really tired the next morning. And the parents, as they picked the kids up, were so invigorated and happy. But the kids had a great, great time at the church. You know, there's just something about running through the church, playing tag, is a good thing. It's a good thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you're visiting with us today and worshiping with us for the first time, we want, we'd like you, if you just wouldn't mind raising your hand, we'd like to see you. Wonderful. We're so glad that you're here. Amen. We just want you to feel at home today and with family. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, but maybe she doesn't want to raise her hand, Pastor Chip. Oh, she did raise her hand? Okay. Thank you. Our, our associate pastor is over there pointing at you, and that is against the rules. No. I'm sorry. I didn't recognize you. We're glad that you're here today. Amen. Praise the Lord. <clears throat> is there anybody else, Pastor Chip, that i missed? <laughs> Amen. Uh, we just want to let you just know a couple of things. Uh, next Sunday evening, December the 9th at six o'clock, we're going to be having New Year's prayer here uh, in the sanctuary, and we're just going to uh, take some time to seek the Lord. Uh, Seek him for our own lives, for God's plan and God's purpose for our life, for our church. Just spend some time in prayer. We'll do a little bit of worship as well. And so come join us. uh, Just set that aside a time. I know that time aside. uh, I I know that you're probably doing that on your own this time of year. But it's good to do that together as a church family and to gather together. And so uh, come to that and be with us uh, at 6 o'clock. We will be having uh, services for the children. And so um, they can join us in here, but I know sometimes they don't last too long in that. So we do have something planned for the children as well. We want to let you know that our uh, bookstore sale of 20% off is continuing through uh, this week. So you can stop by there after the service as well. Pastor Mike's uh, materials are on sale as well. Um, Then just to update you, this will probably be the last update we give you, but our Orphanage Christmas Project, we received just under $11,000 that we were able to send out, praise the Lord, to the orphans. Isn't that great? It's wonderful. We'll give you some reports from some of those orphanages. We do already have some photos from some of them, and we will be sharing those in the upcoming weeks with you. Hallelujah. If the ushers are in the aisles, Uh, if you don't see an offering envelope in the seat in front of you for some reason, you can just raise your hand and the ushers will serve you. And um, so you can just lift up your hands and they can serve you if you need that. Um, There's also some information about giving electronically on the screens above me. You can have help with that. Praise the Lord. And let's pray. Lord, you have been so, so good. All of our lives, you have been faithful. And we thank you for your faithfulness to us. And so it is our honor to worship you with our giving. It is our honor to bring to you the first 10% of that which we earn as worship and as honor unto you. Thank you, Lord, that because of it, The windows of heaven are open over us, and we're blessed that the devourers rebuke for our sake. And, Lord, you make us a blessing. Hallelujah. We live to give. We live to give to others. We live to be vessels of honor and of giving and of love unto all, all people that we come in contact with, Lord. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today for leading us by your spirit, that the presence and the glory of God is upon us and among us and shines through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Family, after you've had the chance to give, would you stand and worship with us again this morning? of the Father inviting you to walk on the water risk it all answer the call and enter in now we stand on every promise we're not afraid our faith goes before us we believe We're going to see the supernatural We're going to see what we're praying for We believe every single word Stronger than we've ever been Standing on His promises We're going to see the impossible We release the supernatural Stronger than we've ever been We are standing on His promises We will face the darkness around us As we break the chains that have bound us Yes, it's true, we can do the impossible so we stand with keys of the kingdom to declare the day of our freedom we believe we're gonna see the supernatural we're gonna see what we're praying for we believe every single word stronger than we've ever been standing on his promises we're gonna see the impossible we release the supernatural stronger than we've ever been We are standing on His promises. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ our Savior. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ our Savior. We're gonna see what we're praying for. We believe every single word. Stronger than we've ever been Standing on His promises We're gonna see The impossible We release the supernatural Stronger than we've ever been We are standing on His promises Cause we're gonna see what we're praying for we believe every single word stronger than we've ever been standing on his promises we're gonna see the impossible we release the supernatural stronger than we've ever been We are standing on His promises. Stronger than we've ever been. We are standing on His promises. Stronger than we've ever been. We are standing on His promises. Would you give the Lord a shout this morning? Hallelujah.
2: Father, we bless your name. We exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our spirit that we might see the word like we've never seen it before. I thank you, Father, for thinking through my mind and speaking through my lips this morning and cause each and every one of us to be affected and changed by the truth of your word. We give you all the glory and the honor for all the things that are done in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start this morning in Isaiah chapter 53, and then um, secondly, over in Matthew chapter 8, we're talking about divine healing. We're talking about the faith that receives healing. In Isaiah 53, verse 3. It says of Jesus that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now we've uh, talked about those, uh, these words, griefs and sorrows. Sorrows means pain, and griefs means sickness. And you can look up in the concordance other places where these words are used, and they're uh, uh, translated into sickness and pains. Why the translators didn't do that here? in this passage does us a great disservice and the only thing that we can speculate as to the cause and the reason why they failed to give us their best translation is that they didn't believe themselves that healing was a part of the redemptive work of Jesus. So he's despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, When the evening was come, They brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself, Took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now Matthew gives us a Holy Ghost commentary on the prophecy of Isaiah 53. The church has, for the last 2,000 years, been at odds with itself as to what the complete redemptive work of Jesus covers. So here we have a a New Testament commentary, a Holy Ghost commentary in Matthew chapter 8, that tells us that the fulfilling of Isaiah's prophecy meant that healing was for everyone. He healed all that were sick. Now that he healed all that were sick in connection with Isaiah's prophecy, Here we have the words, uh, the Hebrew equivalent, translated into infirmities and sicknesses. And that had to be a universal blessing in order for Isaiah's prophecy to be fulfilled. Now, folks, we know that not everybody gets healed. It's a, a sad thing because healing belongs to everybody. It's a part of the eternal work of Jesus and his redemptive work on the cross. But you know as well as I do that not everybody receives their healing. Part of the church world looks at that and concludes that that means healing is not available for everybody. It doesn't belong to everybody. Other parts of the church understand that there are conditions that are placed on receiving any blessing of God including sickness, including healing from sickness and disease. I want to talk to you this morning about the faith that works, the faith that receives. and in order to do that, we're going to need to look at some things where faith didn't work, or where people were absent of their faith. I want you to look with me over to, to Matthew, uh, to, I'm sorry, to Mark chapter six, beginning in verse two, And when the Sabbath day was come, He began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought into his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country." and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and went round about their villages teaching. Now notice in verse 5 it says, and he could there do no mighty work. He could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. Now here's Jesus, the Son of God, that much of the church world thinks of as being on the earth to operate in God's sovereign justice and God's sovereign will, and leaving out some people from being healed. And they'll expand on that and say, here's proof positive that healing doesn't belong to everybody. But folks, how can healing belong to some and not to others without God being a respecter of persons? where it says in the Bible several times God is no respecter of person, it means he has the same will concerning the acceptance and walking in the redemptive work of Jesus. And if that's not the case, then how are we ever going to understand anything about God and his word? How are we going to accept and grow in the knowledge of the character of Jesus if his word is not honored? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, not only only the Jews, but the Gentiles. I believe that the word of God is stronger than any sickness or disease. Yet we see some succumb to sickness and disease. so how can these things be reconciled? One of the greatest illustrations on this that blessed me was from Fred Price. When he was talking about this subject of healing, he used this example. He said if we challenged the the fastest runner in the world to a race, nobody would expect us to win. But folks, we could establish the rules and give ourselves enough of a head start to where we could outrun even the fastest man in the world. Now that's how sickness and disease works against the believer. Because in most cases, most people don't really start actively and aggressively believing for their healing until they get a diagnosis of sickness. And many times, In that situation, according to that example, there are many times when it's got too much of a head start on us to be able to overcome it. I believe that there is no sickness that's greater than the Word of God, and when we get in in situations where people have received a diagnosis, a critical or, uh, or deadly diagnosis of sickness and disease in their bodies, it creates too much of a head start to get a hold of. Or to catch up with. Now there are times where God in his, in his, according to his mercy. And according to manifestations of the spirit. There are times where these things can be overcome. And they are overcome with many times with instant healings. But not everybody gets a, a, a healing result instantly. They didn't in Jesus' ministry and we can't expect it to happen in ours. If we can keep the sick alive long enough, then there's no question that their faith could overtake the sickness and disease that they've been diagnosed with. But again, it comes down to when we start believing. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you wait till you need faith to get it, you're too late. And there are situations that we see, loved ones that we have, Seen where they failed to receive their healing. And I don't intend for this to be an accusation against anybody or condemnation in any form whatsoever. Sometimes our faith doesn't have, have time to catch up with the sickness and disease that we believe to be healed of. Now this example in Mark chapter 6 is... One of the greatest examples, in my opinion, that explains some things about God's will and God's action concerning sickness and disease. It says Jesus could there do no mighty work. It doesn't say that he wouldn't. It says that he couldn't. And the implication is there that he tried and failed. Now, there are some translations that translate it that way. I know the, um, the Spanish translation says it that way, that he tried and failed. Now think about that. Here's Jesus, Son of God, who has the Spirit of God without measure upon him, and he's unable to do something that's in line with what he was sent to the earth to do. We know that Jesus has already been through Capernaum before he came to Nazareth, which was the, uh, his hometown, the town which he grew up in, and he's performed many mighty works in Capernaum, And he knows that Nazareth and the people of Nazareth have heard about the things that he did. But because they thought they knew his past, because they were familiar with him all throughout his life, there was nothing in that familiarity that caused them to think that he would or could in any way be the Messiah. And as a result, they failed to accept his words And they failed to experience any major condition of healing for the sick. Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words says that this um, word sick in verse 5, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folks and healed them. That word sick means folks with minor ailments and conditions. So he might have gotten somebody with a cold healed, but he wasn't able to, to raise up a, a cripple or open blind eyes. Now, Matthew's account of this in Matthew 13 says virtually the same thing, but Luke's account adds to it. Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. In other words, he said, these scriptures I just read, what we know of as Isaiah 61, are talking about me. I'm the one that these scriptures refer to. And they all bare him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said unto them, You will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when the great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman which was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And when they all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him under the brow of the hill whereon their city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Now Matthew and Mark, The gospels that bear their names were written many years before Luke wrote his gospel. And here you have a a situation where Mark and Matthew both cover the uh, important issues to identify that Jesus was unable because of the unbelief of the town to do any mighty work of healing or any other type of miracle. So Luke comes along and shares, by the direction of the Holy Ghost, shares details about the sermon that he preached, the sermon that Jesus preached in Nazareth, and about his reference to the things that were done, the healing miracles and such that were done in Capernaum. Now I want you to notice a couple of things that he draws out. He talks about things that happened in Elijah's ministry. He talks about things that happened in Elisha's ministry. Let me read those to you again. Verse 24, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But none of them was Elijah, sent save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. Now, what's Jesus talking about here? Why does he bring Elijah's experience during the great drought? Why does he bring that up? Folks, quite simply, Israel had a covenant blessing of of healing from sickness and disease. Deuteronomy 7, verse 15, God said, I will take sickness from the midst of thee. This is an example for us to explain how important it is for us to develop our faith in the things that Jesus redeemed us from, to develop our faith in divine healing and divine health. Now, there was somebody that God moved in a supernatural way during Elijah's ministry, and it was this widow woman of Sarepta. She's not a Jew. She's not somebody that has a covenant blessing with God in any way whatsoever, In fact, God sent Elijah outside of the borders of Israel to withstand the three and a half years of drought, or at least a significant portion of it. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that it's not appropriate and it's not successful for us to sit back and expect that God's going to do things and initiate things on his own. Now, we know that there are times where God does that. John chapter 5 tells us about the man at the pool of Bethesda. There were five porches full of people that were there, people with all kinds of serious conditions. There were people that were lame. There were people that were blind. You remember the story about when the angel would come down and stir the water. The first one in the water after that received their healing, but only one. Jesus comes to the pool of Bethesda and sees the man, and he asks the man, will he be healed? And the man doesn't even have confidence in the, in the healing that comes by the angel traveling the water. As great a miracle and, and expression of God's love and mercy that is, he doesn't have confidence in that because he's not able to move fast enough to get in the water. I'm not exactly sure how those things worked. But think of the miracle condition that God had set up for somebody to be healed one at a time. We don't know how often it worked. We don't know if it was the second Tuesday of every month that this happened. And as a result, There are people there, these five porches full of sick folks, lame, impotent, blind, and so forth, who are waiting for any movement of the water. The Bible doesn't say anything about anybody being able to see the angel, so they have to accept that any movement of the water must be the angel. Now, after you're there, day after day after day after day after day, imagine the desperation that was set in. in. There wasn't a Baskin Robbins take a number system. It was just whoever was first one into the water was healed. That would stand to reason then that people with lesser conditions of sickness and disease would be the ones that would be active enough, maybe young enough, to outrun everybody to get into the water. And I say outrun. I'm sure everybody is sitting on the edge of the water just waiting for something to happen. I can imagine that people are there thinking up all kinds of ways to beat the system. Like laying on the edge of the water with one hand in. But this guy that Jesus comes to, he realizes that he's going to be last if he ever gets anything at all. Well, Jesus heals him. But then it says Jesus conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. In other words, here's a a miracle that's greater than the angel stirring the water that takes place as a result of Jesus' words. He simply commanded him to take up his bed and walk. Here's a greater miracle than the angel stirring the water but it only happens for one person. Now why would God do it that way? Why wouldn't Jesus just stand there and, and take as long as it took to go through these five portions full of people? Sick folks. Why didn't he just clear everything out? Here's one problem that people have in understanding the character and the nature of God. You've got some people now that are against the idea of healing being part of Jesus' redemptive work on the cross. And they say things like, if the Holy Ghost works now like he used to, like he did through Jesus in his ministry, then why don't these healing preachers and healing evangelists just go into the hospitals and clear them out? Folks, Jesus didn't even do that. We have no mention, no indication in any form whatsoever that any of those other people that were there when the man at the pool of Bethesda was healed by Jesus ever got anything that would change their situation. We have no record, no reason to imply or to accept any implication that anybody else in that place was healed except the one Jesus ministered to. Now, what if his condition, had, instead of being a crippling condition, what if it was cancer or something that was life-threatening? A lot of people look at that, people in that that situation, and say that God's unjust for not doing something about it. But folks, just like Israel had a healing covenant with God in the Old Testament, we've got a healing covenant with God in, in the New Testament in this present day. What are you doing about that healing covenant we've got with God? Are you going to wait till you receive some diagnosis and then start believing God? Folks, the church world isn't even in agreement with what believing God looks like. There's much criticism passed upon us that believe in actively acting on the word of God as to our belief that confession is the way to act on the Word of God. You receive a lot of controversy a lot of criticism, and there's a great controversy if you just take a position, take a stand on agreeing with God's Word by confessing it into your life. Now, there are some of us that know just how God's Word works There are some of us that teach it. But folks, if you look at the percentage of the body of Christ in the earth that we make up, it's a very small percentage. You've got the vast majority of the church in this modern day world that's completely unprepared should sickness and disease come. And if sickness and disease does come upon them, their best hope for staying alive until they get the power of God's word embedded and planted in their heart. Their best hope for staying alive is with natural and human uh, medical systems and the medicine that the medical community offers. Now, I'll say it again. If we could have a way to keep somebody alive or to keep everybody alive, Long enough for the word to take hold in their hearts, then your faith, their faith, would be sufficient to defeat sickness and disease. I'm not talking about people experiencing a failure of faith, but the fact of the matter is, most people aren't prepared for sickness and disease when, before it's diagnosed. Luke went on to explain and give some other examples. He said there were many lepers throughout Israel in the time of Elisha. But none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Now you remember the story. Naaman the Syrian had a little slave girl in his household that knew about Elisha the prophet Naaman comes down with, with leprosy, which was a death sentence in that time, and that day and time, but this little slave girl talks him into sending or going down to, to Israel where Elisha is, and she has confidence in Elisha's ability to bring healing to her, her master Naaman, So Naaman gets down there with a great company. Elisha finds out why he's there. He sends word in when his company is outside the place where Elisha is dwelling. And Elisha just very simply says, Go wash seven times into the river Jordan, and you'll come again clean. Well, Naaman the Syrian, a man of great importance, great stature, he's not used to being treated like that. And so he gets mad at Elisha, and finally somebody calms him down. One of his men calms him down and says, if he asked you to do something hard, you'd do that, wouldn't you? And he agrees, yes, that he would. Isn't it something how people expect things to come only through great difficulty? Because if he was asked to do something hard, then he could expect that it was his faithfulness to act on what he was told to do that brought about his own healing. People are unconsciously or subconsciously looking for something that they can say warranted the blessing of God because of their own action. So they finally talked Naaman into going to the river Jordan and obeying what Elisha said, and he does. And when he came out of the water the seventh time, his leprosy was gone. Well, now he's so happy, he goes back to where Elisha is. And he wants to pay him, wants to give him gold and silver and changes of raiment or suits of clothes. And Elisha said that it was not time to receive offerings. He wouldn't even let him pay for the blessing that he got after the fact. Well, what was this healing miracle indicative of? Why was it that God operated in His on Naaman's behalf to instigate a healing from leprosy, when there were lepers, many lepers in Israel that were not healed and that died as a result of their leprosy over time? Because Israel had a covenant blessing of healing that belong to them. Folks, we have the privilege of knowing more of the Word than much of the the majority of the body of Christ. We have the blessing or the blessed knowledge of the fact that healing was part of the redemptive work of Jesus. When you have that knowledge, God expects more out of you. what would any of these lepers been able to do in Israel during the time of Elisha? They could very easily have staked a claim based on God's word, based on their covenant promise, and been cleansed of their leprosy. They probably didn't even know of the opportunities they had. They probably had overlooked maybe through ignorance, maybe just not through walking in fellowship with God. But here you get somebody that doesn't have a healing promise, of, a blessing, covenant promise of healing, like Naaman, and he's able to accept his healing and be raised up from this leprous condition. And in Nazareth, he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a a few sick folks, folks with minor ailments. Now, I know that you know as well, much of the church teaching, you may have come out of a church that taught this, but much of the church world is, is teaching and believing the fact, or what they believe to be the fact, that Paul had sickness and disease in his body during his ministry. This so called Paul's thorn in the flesh has been used for many ministers and believers to think wrong about what belongs to them. But Paul very clearly identifies this thorn in the flesh to be persecution. Men that are, allow themselves to be used by the devil. To claim that sickness and disease was something that God refused to heal Paul up. I want you to look with me to a couple of passages. Philippians chapter 2 first. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Paul said, yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier. But your messenger... And he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all. And was full of heaviness. Because you had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick. Nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him. And not on him only. But upon me also. Lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully. That when you see him again. You may rejoice. And that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord. With all gladness. And hold such in all reputation because for the work of christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me now one thing i want you to see here folks is that when paul is talking to the church concerning somebody that had been sick and apparently had been sick for some period of time But when Paul talks about somebody being sick, he doesn't use some imagery. He doesn't use some example or, well, I don't know know how to say it. He doesn't cloak the condition of sickness that was upon Epaphroditus by speaking in some flowery terms like a thorn in the flesh. When somebody was sick, Paul called them sick well then why wouldn't he have done the same thing with himself in his own experience? If Paul was sick, why didn't he say that he was sick? If sickness and disease was what the Holy Spirit answered, or the Lord answered Paul in saying, my grace is sufficient for you, then why didn't he explain explain what the grace would do concerning sickness and disease? The reality, folks, is that you cannot find the word grace or the concept of grace used in any form in the New Testament regarding sickness, healing for the physical body. Grace is something that takes place in your heart. It's something that's ministered to the spirit of man, not to the body of man. You can't find any place where Jesus said, Go your way according to my grace. Be healed. Grace is for the spirit of man. So for when the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, what is he saying? He's telling Paul that I've got spiritual strength for you that will enable you to endure the persecutions and the attacks against you. Now, folks, you do realize that we're not redeemed from persecution, don't you? Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Paul even said, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Which is probably the main reason why much of the church world doesn't know anything about persecution. But Paul says it himself, and he must understand how this works. They that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He's under persecution. He says, because of the abundance of the revelations. Now the church interprets, much of the church world interprets that as the Lord telling Paul, because of the abundance of revelations, because of the things that I've opened your eyes to, the things that you've seen when you were caught up into heaven, the experience you had when I met with you on the road to Damascus, If Paul was talking about physical conditions, then he would have done us a disservice to not call it sickness and disease. Now, won't you look with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2? I'm sorry, it's chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Just very briefly, he's saying, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he's talking about who's with him and who isn't. And notice verse 20, he says, Erastus abode at Corinth, but Trophimus I have left at Miletum sick. Now we know why Epaphroditus was sick. He overworked himself. Because of the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, Paul said. And then he, he also indicates that God had mercy on Epaphroditus that it wasn't simply a matter of, or completely a matter at least, of his faith to overcome the the overworked conditions. Because, folks, that really wouldn't be the, the specific and definite definition of sickness. If he's overworked himself, then he's worn himself out, but that doesn't necessarily mean sick. Yet Paul identifies that as exactly what the people believed after having heard that Epaphroditus through being overworked. Paul says that they heard that he'd been sick. Again, the point is very simple. If Paul's calling other people sick, then if he had sickness and disease in his body, he would have done a disservice by not calling himself sick. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look for a minute at Paul's thorn. Second Corinthians chapter 12, rather. Paul starts off talking to the church at Corinth. It is not an expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one caught up into the third heaven, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise, and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. This is a little blind to us from the translation. It literally means, I saw things that I cannot describe to you. I don't have the words to describe. Now, let me take a little side journey here too, folks, because as I said before, if we can keep the sick alive long enough for their faith to catch up, then anybody and everybody can be healed. That's not always the case. Many times, sickness and disease has too great a head start for somebody's faith to catch up with it. But notice this again in verse 4, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul said to depart and be with Christ is far better. And I simply want to tell you this or point this out, that many times people, as they are fighting in their body and the sickness and disease that they have been diagnosed with, gets greater and greater, makes greater and greater progress to take against the life of the individual that's been diagnosed. There are many times there where out of mercy from God the Father, people get a glimpse of heaven. I want you to understand this without equivocation and very simply, that's a game changer. Because many people who are struggling and suffering with sickness and disease, once they see heaven, once they get a glimpse of heaven, it makes everything that they're fighting to stave off or to overcome the sickness and disease that has taken hold of their body, it becomes less important or in many cases unimportant when you have the opportunity to go be in heaven with Jesus. I think a lot of times we're so accustomed to looking at results because your faith can produce results according to the will of God as identified in His Word. The greatest thing that can be said of us, the greatest thing that we can do, is to die in faith. The devil wants you to think that if somebody doesn't receive their healing here on the earth, that they're a failure. Their faith failed. They failed. And he tries to bring condemnation upon the individual or upon his, the loved ones. But folks, all of those people in the heroes hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 12 died without receiving the promise. In other words, they died in faith. That's what God looks on. He doesn't look on what kind of results you accomplished. He just looks on whether or not we died in faith or died believing that God was unable to do what his word said. Paul goes on to, to describe his own experience. Verse 5, of such a one I will glory... Yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought I the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, this word infirmities means weakness, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, weaknesses, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice he, con- he identified his weaknesses to glorify God in reproaches and infirmities and so forth. You can go back to chapter 11 and look at all the things that Paul said he experienced in his ministry, and every one of those things on the list were the results either directly or indirectly, the result of persecutions and people standing against him. So Paul says that the reason that this messenger of Satan, the word messenger is usually translated angel, it's the Greek word angelos, it's used 188 times in the New Testament, seven times it's translated messenger and 181 times is translated angel so he says this messenger or this angel of Satan not God but of Satan was given to him not by God but by Satan himself because of the abundance of revelations now folks Paul identifies this as the work of the devil not the work of God And that makes sense because if it was of God and God was worried about Paul being exalted too highly because of the revelations, why didn't he just quit giving him revelations? Paul says, recognizing this personality, this messenger of Satan. He says, I besought the Lord three times to rid me of it. Rotherham's translation and Weymouth's translation both identify this messenger of Satan as a personality. They translate this, let me get this right. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. Rotherham and Weymouth's translation identify it not as it, but as a personality, he or him. Now folks, I want you to realize something. Paul prayed for this thing to depart from him. This thing that was a result of year after year after year of hindrance in his ministry. He talks about himself in chapter 11 that he was in labors more abundant than any of the other apostles. He says, I've outworked them all. Now, how could he have outworked them all if he was sick in body? Most of the time, serious illness and disease puts a burden on other people to do the things for us that we can no longer do. So Paul prayed three times for this messenger of Satan to depart from him, for the persecutions to stop. Three whole times. Look at Paul's prayer life. The abundance of revelations that he had. The fact that he'd been caught up into the third heaven. And the persecutions began almost from the beginning. Paul prayed three times for this thing to depart from him. Folks, I hate to admit this, but if this was me, I would have have prayed three times in the first hour. Three times. Wouldn't you like to have a prayer life so that God would respond in such a way that asking for it the second time and finally the third time would be almost uncalled for? Why did Paul only pray for this thing three times or pray about this thing three times? Because he knew God heard him whenever he prayed the first time. He talks about great distress that he's experienced as a result of persecution, he wound up being shipwrecked on several occasions. He wound up being a night in a day, 24 hours in other words, lost at sea in the open water. Now what would you have done if you found yourself in some of those conditions? How do you even start thinking about praying in a situation like that? He knew his time wasn't up. He knew there was more important things to do when he got back to land. But he prayed three times. Now folks, if sickness and disease enabled us to do the kind of work that Paul did and get the supernatural results and the miraculous results that Paul got in his ministry, then I would suggest that we all ought to be praying for sickness and disease to to overtake us. If it resulted in Paul's ability to outwork the rest of the apostles and to overcome the times where he was beaten. One of the things he says he suffered was three times was he beaten with rods. Historical evidence shows us that to be beaten with rods means they would take these long bamboo type sticks and they would beat the bottoms of the foot, of the feet, of the individual who was under punishment. Now folks, the only way you could get around in those days, the only way that Paul could spread the gospel, was by walking from point A to point B. After having been beaten with these rods, it had the potential to stop the spread of the gospel. But Paul, in every one of these situations, Paul supernaturally recovered. and was therefore enabled, empowered by the life of God on the inside of it to continue spreading the gospel to the new places, new territories, new cities. Paul said again, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelation that was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul had the same education as the high priest. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, so he was not able to be a part of the priesthood or the inner circle of the priesthood. But he had the same training that they did. Part of that training was he had to memorize the law and the prophets. All of the priesthood families had to do the same thing. So Paul knew when he used the phrase the thorn in the flesh. Paul knew very specifically the times, and there are three times in the Old Testament where somebody is referred to as thorns in their sides, pricks in their eyes, thorns in their eyes. The first is in Numbers chapter 33, verse 55. Moses tells the people that if they do not drive out the enemies of Israel when they finally get to the promised land, they would be thorns in their sides or thorns in the flesh the next time is in Joshua chapter 23 where Joshua has led the children of Israel into taking the promised land but they are responsible each of the tribes of Israel were responsible for maintaining order in their own territories the portion of land the promised land that was given to them Joshua says as well There'll be pricks in your eyes if you don't drive out the enemies from this land. The the next time, the third time, is in 2 Samuel chapter 23 when David, at the end of his life, gives instruction to Solomon and all of his advisors, saying, If Israel did not once and for all drive out the enemies, their enemies from the promised land, that they would be pricks in their eyes. Paul uses an example of the enemies of Israel and the annoyance that it becomes, they become to the carrying out of God's will in possessing the promised land. He uses an example that everybody else understands is talking about people. It's not talking about a thing. He's not talking about sickness and disease. He uses the example. Of other times. Three specific times in Israel's history. Where people. Become a hindrance. Or an annoyance at at the very least. Instead of calling it sickness and disease. You look through that list of everything Paul endured. in. Second Corinthians chapter 11. And the only thing that doesn't make the list is sickness and disease. Everything else, virtually everything else, every other trouble, every other problem, every other hindrance. Was in place. Warring against Paul's spreading of the gospel. Notice again in verse 7. He said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me. The word buffet means to deliver blow after blow. It's used one time in the book of Acts to identify somebody, the people of God, that become targets of mob violence. Now, if this was sickness and disease, Paul is talking about, he would have to be talking about different sicknesses and different diseases. Because sickness doesn't deliver blow after blow. Sickness doesn't deliver violence. Sickness doesn't manifest itself in mob violence in any way whatsoever. So this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, which was sent to buffet him, perfectly fits with the list of things that he identifies he experienced in his ministry. One of the key proofs, in my opinion, that Paul suffered persecution rather than sickness and disease is given to us in Acts chapter 19, verse 11. It tells us about God working miracles through the hands of Paul and then specifically identifies a new way of ministering that came about While he was at Ephesus. It says so that from his body were taken to the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And laid upon the sick. And the diseases departed from them. And the evil spirits went out of them. Now throughout the history of the church. For the last couple of thousand years. There are some. That have identified or tried to identify. That Paul's condition or Paul's sickness. Was eye trouble and some have gone to great lengths to express or define this terrible eye condition that Paul had some have reported it to be pus coming out of running out of his eyes constantly and so forth now folks if you heard of a fellow that was a minister of the gospel that had pus running out of his eyes because of some disease and sickness that God wouldn't heal him of, would you send off for a prayer cloth? Something that came from the body of a person with this running sores and pus flowing out of his eyes would fall in the same category as a leper. So that anything, that any cloth that came in contact with his body would be burned not become a a way to minister healing to the sick. Another thing that I think bears notice is that if Paul had sickness and disease, then how in the world is he going to convince other people That God heals their bodies, or will heal their bodies, even though he won't heal Paul. How could the man at Lystra, hearing Paul preach the gospel, get faith to be healed, if he's looking at the guy delivering the message as having this terrible communicable disease and the terrible symptoms that go along with it? Jesus even said when he was at Nazareth, he said, I know what you're going to say. Physician, heal thyself. Again, the point is, how could Paul inspire faith to be healed if God wouldn't heal him? Living by faith is the important key. And dying by faith is just as important as well. He was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes... We are healed. Folks, the word of God is stronger than any COVID virus, any Omicron variant, or any other thing that the world comes up with from this point forward. God's word is the supreme power of the universe. Don't wait till you're diagnosed with something to start putting the word of God to work in your life. Begin confessing God's word today. It's not a matter of how much of God's word you confess or how much you memorize or any other thing. It's a matter of taking the word of God in even its smallest measure and through confession of his word Plant it in your own heart and make sure that it grows. Don't wait till you need faith to get it. Let's start today. Let's pray. Father, we bless your holy name. We thank you for the the covenant that we have our redemption from spiritual death, our redemption from lack and poverty and necessities, our redemption from sickness and disease. Father, we thank you for opening our eyes to the truth that Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses And with his stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord, that your word is your power to overcome all of the work of the enemy, to raise us up, to walk in us, and to dwell within us. We declare that the life of God on the inside of us quickens our mortal bodies, drives out every trace of symptoms of sickness and disease, delivers us completely to walk in your word and to overcome all the work of the enemy. Lord, your word says that Jesus was manifested in the flesh to destroy the works of the devil. Therefore, when we speak your word, we destroy the works of the devil in our own lives. Thank you, Father, that there's nothing that's too hard for you. And we join with Father Abraham. By being strong in faith. Giving you glory before we see the answer. And being fully persuaded that you're able to perform what your word says. Thank you Father for raising us up. Even as your word says the prayer of faith shall save and heal and deliver the sick. And you shall raise us up. Thank you, Father, for doing this and much more. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's all stand. Say it with me the lord is good and his mercy endures forever now say it this way the lord is good and his healing mercy endures forever